Welcome back from your break, and if you're joining us on the stream, we want to welcome you as well. Please open in your scriptures to the fourth gospel, the gospel of John. In just a moment, I'll be reading from the 20th chapter, the account of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, uh, beginning in verse 1, and we'll be reading through verse 29 of of that chapter. Easter Sunday, of course, is the final day of, of what we call the most important week in history. Last Sunday, as we began our Holy Week together, uh, reflecting on the events of Palm Sunday, today we are celebrating the, the hope of the empty tomb. It is the Sunday where Christians worldwide will celebrate the announcement that Christ is risen and the hope that is found, the living hope that is found in his life for us. But as we begin here, and just a moment as I read from the scripture, I wanted to acknowledge another gift of hope that maybe you are aware of, but maybe you, like me, can often take for granted, and that is the Easter hope of gathering together. The gift of the local church is a gift of God to each of us. And this gift, this gathering which God gives us, even on this most celebrated of days, is a taste of home that is promised the Christian believer. When we gather, we can acutely feel at times that we are not at home in this world of ours. But when we come together, in some way, we leave this world for a few moments, if you allow that. When we come together, we feel the home that God has created for us. We, are, we know we aren't quite home yet, but we feel the home. We sense the arrival of Christ's kingdom, even if we aren't quite there. And it has a profoundly centering effect on us, doesn't it? Friends of mine who live overseas, they serve in a mission setting in Europe, tell me that every now and then, they have the blessing of being invited onto a U.S. Army base. That doesn't sound like home probably to most of us. But when you live in another country where they don't speak English, where the signs in that country are all in a foreign language, where there are no Burger Kings or Pizza Huts, where the police and fire sirens always sound different from what you knew growing up. Where you can't use dollars, you have to use euros. When you go on to the base, it feels a little bit like home. Hey, that soldier speaks English. Hey, that's a Burger King sign. Hey, that fire sound sounds just like the fire sirens back home. You know you're not home when you're on an army base in Europe. 
but it feels like it. In worship as the gathered church, we are reminded that we are God's children through faith in Christ. We are reminded that he dearly loves us as part of his family. We are reminded that as part of his spiritual family that will never be broken, at least his commitment to us, broken as we may feel at times. We are reminded that he will one day bring us home. And when he does, there will be but one reason. It's because he lives. And so today I celebrate, as we read the scripture together, not only the gift of hope that is Christ is risen, but the gift of the local church, a gift of hope where we get to taste a little bit that we're home. John chapter 20, beginning in verse one. This is God's word. May he give us ears to hear what the spirit see. Now on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early while it was still dark and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. So she ran and went to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved and said to them, they have taken the Lord out of the tomb and we do not know where they have laid him. So Peter went out with the other disciple and they were going toward the tomb. Both of them were running together, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. And stooping to look in, he saw the linen cloth lying there, but he did not go in. Then Simon Peter came following him and went into the tomb. He saw the linen cloths lying there, the face cloth which had been on Jesus' head, not lying with the linen cloths, but folded up in a place by itself. Then the other disciple, who had reached the tomb first, went in, and he saw and believed, for as yet they did not understand the scripture, that he, speaking of Jesus, must rise from the dead. Then the disciples went back to their homes. But Mary stood weeping outside the tomb, and as she wept, she stooped to look into the tomb. And she saw two angels in white sitting where the body of Jesus had lain, one at the head and one at the feet. They said to her, woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, they have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. Having said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing, but she did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him, and I will take him away. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned and said to him, in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. Jesus said to her, do not cling to me for I have not yet ascended to the Father, but go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord, and that he had said these things to her. On the evening, verse 19 of that 
day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, peace be with you. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. Jesus said to them again, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you withhold forgiveness from any, it is withheld. Now Thomas, one of the 12 called the twin, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord. But Thomas said to them, unless I see in his hands the mark of the nails and place my finger into the mark of the nails and place my hand into his side, I will never believe. Eight days later, his disciples were inside again and Thomas was with them. Although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, put your finger here and see my hands and put your hand and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. Thomas answered him, my Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Thanks be to God for his word. Let's pray. Lord, we ask that in these brief moments together before your word, that the hope of the empty tomb, the resurrection of Jesus Christ, would declare afresh to us that you are our long-awaited Savior and King, who lives to save us to the uttermost. I pray, Lord, we would not only understand the meaning of the events of Easter, but we would hear your invitations from these stories to respond to the events of the first Easter by accepting Jesus as our Savior, and submitting our life by faith to him as king. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So on this Easter Sunday from this passage, I want to share three simple words, headings if you will, which will not only help us make sense of the events of Easter, but then lead us in our response. And those three words, which follow really in some ways, not just the passage we read, but the entire Gospel of John are this, royalty, sacrifice, and victory. Royalty, sacrifice, and victory. And as we consider those three words and their implications for this Easter celebration, I believe the Lord will invite each of us, myself included, to respond to the resurrection of Jesus Christ by faith for both the forgiveness of our sins but also submit our life 
to him as king and the freedom of submitting to his kingship always brings. So as we begin, ask yourself this question, how is God calling me to respond to the events of this first Easter, this profound announcement, he lives. Let's consider what we just read, this story in chapter 20 as John unfolds it. It's really more than a story, isn't it? It's four testimonies, four testimonies of real people with living, breathing encounters with the resurrection of Jesus and the transformation that followed for each of them. We could devote an entire series to each of these testimonies and consider the implications of their encounter with the resurrection of Jesus for our lives. But for time purposes and and so as not to test your patience, I want to focus on two. Jesus's encounter with Mary and Jesus's encounter with Thomas at the conclusion of the passage. Both were followers of Jesus, Mary an early follower, Thomas later in Jesus's earthly ministry. And like all of the disciples, we quickly discover that there is a sense of despair that has followed the events of Jesus's betrayal and arrest on Maundy Thursday and his trial both by the high priests and before Pontius Pilate, the royal governor, and, and the shock and absolute dis- dismay over his crucifixion on Good Friday. Despairing, defeated, disillusioned disciples that are about to encounter the resurrected Christ. And I think why that's important to acknowledge is that these are real stories. These are testimonies about people who encountered the risen Christ in the same way that many disciples and followers of Christ today arrive at an Easter service perhaps feeling in greater or lesser degrees defeated by circumstances going on in their lives. Maybe they're not like Peter, a denier of Christ, but they are being tempted to deny the claims of Christ's lordship in areas of their lives where they never imagined they would be tested. Convictions that once seemed so clear now seem to be fleeting as words like deconstruction and church attendance plummet in our day. Defeated disciples, despairing, disillusion, doubtful. And isn't it interesting that it's there that the risen Christ meets them? Because the good news of the resurrection of Jesus is that he brings not only forgiveness when we 
have faltered, but he brings a living hope that is not found in ourselves or even in our circumstances, but in submitting to his lordship even when circumstantially things don't seem right. Consider Mary, the first transformation story that John presents to us. It's the first day of the week, verse one tells us, and she is the first to visit the tomb. She is a devoted follower of Jesus from the region of Galilee. Luke reports that Jesus had cast out seven demons from her. Other gospel accounts of the first day include other women going to the tomb as well. John highlights the experience of Mary, perhaps because of what follows. She's dismayed. She's dismayed first for the shock that the stone has been rolled back. She thinks the grave has been robbed and the the body of Jesus has been stolen. But perhaps even more is she is dismayed because her deliverer she beheld crucified and dead and now buried in a tomb. Yet she returns, it says, to Peter and John and announces to them what she has seen. And in verse 12, we see that that having returned, Peter and John come to the tomb and see with their eyes what Mary has beheld, but not before Mary having looked inside the tomb, seeing two angels in white. Here's a question being asked her. Woman, why are you weeping? Who are you seeking? And she replies, they have taken away my Lord. I do not know where they have laid him. And Jesus speaking her name, she immediately recognized him and her despair, her sorrow turns to joy. She will be the first bearer of the news that Jesus is alive. She believes that the resurrection of Jesus, the bodily resurrection of Jesus is true and her perspective of Christ is transformed. Consider as well the testimony of Thomas as we read at the end of the chapter. Thomas, who's one of the 12, verse 24 tells us, was not with the disciples when Jesus appeared to them in the locked room. And so eight days later, it says in verse 26, the disciples were gathered again Jesus stands among them and saying, peace be with you, speaks to Thomas. Put your finger here, see my hands, and put out your hand and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. Thomas answered him, my Lord and my God, Jesus said to him, have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Thomas could be the disciple of the doubtful. And his testimony of transformation includes 
his doubts that Christ could be raised. He refuses to believe unless he says, I see in his hands the mark of the nails and place my finger and hand into his side. And yet when he beholds the resurrected Christ, he declares, my Lord and my God. And so we have in this brief account two testimonials of our resurrected Lord leading a woman from despair to faith in Jesus' resurrection and from doubt in Thomas's case to saying in those immortal words, my Lord and my God, a complete surrender to Christ's kingship. And so I want to suggest, friends, as we consider the first simple word I offered you, royalty, that for you and I to move from both despair, when circumstances seem to defeat us, and doubt, when difficulty caused our confidence, not only in the resurrection of Christ, but in the words he has given us to be true, that these three simple words remind us and indeed invite us to encounter the resurrected Christ again. Royalty. The theme of Jesus' royalty is pronounced throughout all of the gospel stories. Last week, as we considered Palm Sunday, we, we said, based on the scripture, that Palm Sunday is the day Jesus proclaims in the boldest, clearest way that he is the king. He is the promised Messiah. He is God, which of course ultimately is what gets him killed. In chapter 10 of John's gospel, he predicts his death to his disciples and he speaks of his authority. No one takes my life from me. I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down. I have authority to take it up again. Chapter 10, verse 18. His royal identity as read through the gospel descriptions seems to spring off every page. It becomes undeniable that he is a king. The name we know Jesus by today, Christ, is not a last name. It is, it is but a title. It simply means anointed one or king in the Jewish scriptures. In the other gospels, he's often referred to as the son of David, a descendant of Israel's greatest king, a king who was given a promise that an heir would sit on his throne forever in the miracles of which he turned water into wine at a wedding in Cana, caused the paralyzed to walk, fed 5,000 people in the wilderness, walked on water, raised Lazarus from death to life. When people ask, who is this man? Jesus never answered them directly. But in the scripture accounts, his royalty was most explicitly declared in his death. For as Pilate announced when he commanded that it would be written 
as a placard placed upon the cross on which Jesus was hung, Jesus of Nazareth, the king of the Jews, his piercing with nails and spear, his death by crucifixion at the hands of foreigners begins to answer the question, who is Jesus? It's asked by the crowds, it's questioned by Pilate, as many thinking people would ask today. He is God's chosen king of the whole world. His royalty and his death show it. How about you, friend? Are you willing to explore the claims of Jesus' royalty through the pages of the Gospel of John? Are you willing to weigh the evidence of his identity as God's king by considering what the Gospel writers say of him? Sacrifice. As we go through the events of Jesus' death, we come to our second simple word, sacrifice. A man that was unjustly arrested by the Jews, unfairly tried by Pilate, brutally beaten by Roman soldiers, betrayed and denied by his closest followers, given over by the mob, and crucified to die on a tree. What appears to be a tragic death due to the cowardice of a Roman governor, Pilate, acting unjustly for reasons of political expedience. And humanity's wickedness, the crowd, when given the opportunity to deliver Jesus from his execution, chose a notorious criminal Barabbas to be set free instead. A sacrifice reminds us of that Jesus' death on the cross was not only voluntarily chosen by him, he willingly offered himself on the cross. As, as John the Baptist declared of him in the earliest chapters of John, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. He said in chapter 19, John's gospel, verse 30, when Jesus died, he says, it is finished. With that, he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. This is not the cry of defeat. This is the cry of the deliverer, whose same I have finished what I came to do. The writer of Hebrews, reflecting on Jesus' death on the cross, says this in chapter 12, verse 2, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, seated at the right hand of God. Jesus was crucified on the most significant day in the Jewish calendar, in the middle of a festival known as Passover. As Dave pointed out recently, Passover was God's people remembering their deliverance from Egypt through the blood shed of an innocent lamb whose blood was sprinkled on the doorpost when the angel of death delivered them. The sacrifice was known as the Passover lamb, and it's so this lamb that John is referring to when he speaks of Jesus taking away the sin of the world. John is telling us that at the cross of Jesus, the sacrifice, the royal sacrifice, 
of his blood for your and my sins, we can be made clean again. The guilt of my sin before a holy God can be washed clean. My failure to walk faithfully with the Lord can now be forgiven through the sacrifice of Jesus' death on the cross. I still remember the first day I realized I was a sinner and not a saint as an 18-year-old in high school. I had been told I was a Christian since my confirmation class. As I was given a Bible, I think I might have even been baptized at that point, memorizing a few historic Protestant creeds and being welcomed into the denominational setting where my parents took me. And I can still remember the day having heard the gospel declared to me that my sins had offended a holy God. And there was no hope apart from me unless I surrendered to Christ. Asking him not only to forgive me, but surrendering my life and submitting my life to his authority. The preacher promised friendship with God if I would do that, but the call was for me to repent and believe that Christ died in my place to wash away my sin so that I could not only have a place in his kingdom, but live now under his royal rule. It meant a fresh start and a new life with, live with God. It meant a life of submission to his authority by his grace. Why did Jesus die? Well, he died as a royal sacrifice, bearing our sin, carrying our judgment in our place so that finally, the third and final word, we can celebrate victory with him. We can celebrate his victory over sin. We can declare he is risen, the tomb is empty. We, with these individuals, can experience the risen Jesus to the astonishment of those who know us best. We can receive his forgiveness because his resurrection proves that he is royalty. His resurrection is the vindication of everything Jesus did and said and claimed to be. His resurrection proclaims that his sacrifice was accepted. The resurrection is God's resounding yes to his sin-bearing death. He paid the price and the price has been accepted. Cleansing and forgiveness is now ours through faith in Jesus. And his resurrection provides our victory over sin and death. There is life beyond this life, both for those who accept him, but for those who reject Jesus's rule, for those who refuse to accept Jesus's sacrifice, there awaits a judgment by the royal ruler for all eternity for our sins. And he calls us again 
to receive him and through repentance, not only be cleansed of our sins, but submit to his lordship and experience his victorious resurrection through following him. I think Thomas and Mary provide for us model responses. First, if we were to recognize the royal King Jesus who sacrificed for my sins and yours, has forgiven us and cleansed us, we are to tell others this Easter what we believe. We are to say with joy in our hearts that he is risen. Is there a more precious message that our children can hear today down in children's ministry? The Lord is risen. He lives for you today. Receive him. Believe in him. Experience his resurrection power today. But there's also Thomas. Thomas the doubtful who struggled not only with believing Jesus Christ, but submitting to Jesus' kingship, his lordship, because Jesus didn't do things the way Thomas wanted him to do. Jesus didn't act as the promised Messiah the way he and the other disciples thought he would do. Jesus didn't perform, if you will, for the disciples the way they expected the Messiah to perform. And so for the Christian when we surrender our lives to Jesus and come under his kingship, he doesn't say to us, I will do what you want me to do. He says to us, come and follow me as the resurrected king. So this is not just a story. This is a testimony, a living, breathing, walking testimony of real events and real eyewitnesses who now believing in Jesus, invite us, invite us to receive Christ as both Savior who cleanses us from our sins and King who rose victorious again. Is Christ Jesus your Lord and your God today? Have you accepted him as your Savior and King who gave his life as a sacrifice for your sin and rose victorious again. John wants us to understand the meaning of Jesus' death and resurrection so that we can respond to his royalty, his sacrifice, and his victory and change the way we view not only the events of Easter, but the events of our lives. Let's pray. Lord Jesus Christ, we declare that you are Lord and King. And as we sing these concluding songs, we thank you for your death on the cross for us. It, your life wasn't taken from you. You willingly gave it. For the joy set before you, you despised the cross, willingly enduring its shame but having defeated sin and death and the judgment due us, Lord, you were raised and you reign and we thank you.
Lord, we also declare on, on this Easter that you are Lord and King and you have the right to rule over all of my life. And I recognize that there are parts of my life to which I have failed to live in a way in which I acknowledge you and, and desire to please you as scripture speaks of it. So I pray, Lord, as I turn to you now, cleanse me, forgive me, give me new grace and even new hopes to submit my life to your right to rule it, that I might bring you glory, that I might be another one of your testimonies, that I might be like Mary and Thomas that having encountered the risen Christ are able to proclaim with joy, he is risen. Christ is risen. Let us worship and follow him today. We pray this in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. Let's stand.